At the speed of love. Used to be broke, yeah. About to fall of fame. What? What you doing now? I don't know. I know. Plus, what's reality now? I used to be Mr. Steve Austin on the mic. Six million ways I used to run it. Yes, Oscar Goldman got mad. Cause I got loose circuits so loose. With another goose with the egg that seems to be falling. Hey yo, pack my bag, cause I'm out of here. Mama don't love me and my mama don't care. Read the papers, the headlines say bust up rapper got sold. And go. DJ something with the radio waves for something. I knew I hold blew the whole fan dangle when the drum program or a kangle. Realize that I'm over like clover. No good, nothing, so give me some fucking beats. All the teenage fans of heat. Say it on my dues, so what comes next? Let me use my forehead. So let me stop stalling, because everything I do is like. Oh, man. <sighs> hey, folks. Hmm. So tonight, Biden is doing a joint address to Congress. As many will nerds will point out, uh, it is not a State of the Union in the first year. That's not a State of the Union. That is... Uh, in a joint address to Congress, the State of the Union doesn't come until uh, the second year, I guess, because you know you got You're giving a report, and uh, there hasn't really been enough stuff to give a report on. I have a feeling though he'll say that the State of the Union is strong, and I get even though it's not a State of the Union address. I wonder what they're going to put him on. I mean, obviously, they put him on something for these big events because there's no way they would leave the chance that his brain's just going to go off because he has had some pretty astounding mental lapses just in the last couple of months, uh, a number of times where he just gave up. Now, he'll have the teleprompter, but, you know, he's still old as hell. His brain is clearly going, and it's going to be in the evening. So I'm guessing just straight-up adrenaline shot to the heart, Pulp Fiction style, Five minutes before he goes out. And uh, I will predict this, that you don't see him in public for at least a couple of days, maybe a week after this speech. And that'll be fine, because that's the thing about Biden. He was, his pitch to people was, put me in there and you will have to stop caring about politics so much. And it really seems to have done the job. Isn't that interesting? We got to the point where everyone is cranking each other off, freaking out about the imminence of, of civic conflict last fall. And, of course, it bubbled over into the, into the riot and, uh, on January 6th. But since Biden's been in office, it just seems like the air is slowly gone out of the political balloon. And of course, that's just me from, you know, that's just it. I don't ever know. I've been alone this entire time. <laughs> I mean, I don't have any interactions with people. I don't know what's actually happening. And even if I did, that would only be a small little keyhole into the interactions of other people. I'm only ever trying to grok a vibe from, from the ether. And it really does make me think to what degree that is all a self-hypnosis, like getting yourself into a, uh, into a frame of mind uh, and sort of without even knowing it, convincing yourself of a state of affairs that is fully uh, fabricated. But it certainly seems like Biden is – in Biden's the figure of Biden 
is sort of the is truly the opposite of Trump in that he whereas Trump's every statement every action inflamed the political discourse and raised the political temperature it seems like Biden is just a black hole he just absorbs everything and just holds it none of it gets reflected and reinforced And I don't know, I honestly don't know what to make of it. I think that Trump promised a politics that we were just simply not able or willing to embrace. And it would be nice to think if that this is a people redirecting energy in their lives towards more productive uh, vectors than than politics, certainly presidential and national politics. And maybe it's just reflecting the fact that I personally am trying to detach from politics, and I'm just responding to my own conscious and subconscious reorienting of my attention. I don't know. It's weird. Everything's real weird. We have this really interesting dichotomy where uh, the domestic front the Democrats are, if only because they're being forced to by circumstance, uh, go full Keynesian, post-Keynesian, and, and just completely drop all of their, uh, their deficit shit, uh, while internationally turning the screws tighter everywhere, on every front, from sanctions to military interventions to uh, intellectual property protection when we talk about uh, how the two exports of America are weapons and intellectual property, that's Hollywood movies, that's TV shows. It's also things like vac- uh, pharmaceutical patents, which is the real uh, nut of the whole uh, uh, controversy about releasing vaccines to countries like India. I, I wouldn't be surprised if you see a big charity uh shifting of excess vaccines to India and other countries that we then get to take credit for, but you'll never see a violation of the uh, patent regime because the patent regime is what keeps the whole thing going. It's what circuit. It's what uh, Ned Beatty talks about in, in, in uh, network about how the, you know, the Saudis have taken millions out of this country and now they got to bring it back. The thing that brings them back is, uh, uh, real estate and copyrighted immaterial that they we we make people pay for on our terms, supporting our supported by our uh, hegemonic military and our currency. So it would be interesting to see if we got this situation where America does slide towards a haphazard UBI to keep people consuming. Uh, meanwhile, the, uh, like the iron fist of uh, empire just tightens its grip even more around the world. I somebody I remember about that Israeli general who says that uh, that aliens 
contacted the governments of what? The United States and Israel? See, that's how I know that didn't happen, because that's the kind of shit that only an Israeli would say. Why did I say that Marx was wrong about everything? I don't remember ever saying that. I wouldn't say that. I don't agree with that. Weird thing to say. There's a fucking alien species. I would not contact any government government in this fucking on this planet. The the people in charge of this of this uh world are like the the 57 millionth copy of a absolutely drastic just a uh a decadent cruel ruling class that has nothing to offer anyone even on this planet let alone extra fucking uh, terrestrially. I gotta say that I do, I don't, I don't have a lot of patience for the whole Posada stuff. It seems like a lot of, uh, I mean, it's like anything, it's fine if it's a meme, but when you decide to try to take it seriously, you're, uh, you're missing the point, which is that it's just sort of, uh, a humorous thing to play with. But I do believe with the, I do basically agree with his premise that if we, there were aliens that were su- sufficiently advanced to contact Earth, they would be post-capitalist, uh, communist, even be, or beyond that, beyond any beyond economic economics as we understand them. Because there's no fucking way that any society governed by economics would be able to put resources into that shit. Or would have technology that wouldn't transcend those things. But of course, that doesn't mean that they necessarily would have ideology as we understand it. The Ferengi aren't real. Uh, hate to tell you guys that. Six hundred and sixty-six viewers right now. Hail Satan. I do think it would be funny though if the aliens came to Earth and they said and they said, Take me to your dealer because they love to get stoned on weed. I can't write. I'm not a writer. I've realized this. Like, you actually have to have done some, you have to have, like, a, a, a practice and a craft behind it to fucking write things down. I I try to write, and my brain stops me. I honestly realize that all I can really do is talk, because it's the only thing that gets past that that gravity. There's, like, a gravitational pull that just like pulls me away from being able to get anything on paper before I just destroy it with, uh, um, with self doubt. And I could overcome that, but it's going to take long. It's going to take a while. So don't expect anything, uh, in the near future where I'm like sitting down and writing shit down. I'm just a lazy piece of shit is the thing. I, I have no real abilities, talents, skills. I'm just, I got very lucky. There's always an excuse to do nothing. It's true. And 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 therefore, I won't. <laughs> no, I'm going to try to get something down, but it's going to be, like I said, through r- r- talking and then editing, not through sitting down. And I had, I, I think that was always uh, sort of a more hope than, than will to, like, sit and write.
Somebody wants to hear about Robert Owen. God bless those guys, the utopian socialists of the 19th century, the first, the first attempt to opt out of capitalism, basically. And the whole history of the 19th century and the 20th and now is how is over time that option being reduced, just, just literally being wiped off the map. And, uh, and I think that all of our examples of attempts to, to try to opt out of capitalism while still living in a capitalist system are going to be undermined because the, uh, because you can't produce, you can try to produce without profit, but you're the, the rest of the world isn't. And that that fucking crank is just going to pull. But, I, you know, I don't blame them. It certainly looked like there was a lot more uh, options back then. It really, when you look back at the 19th century, it really is stunning. You can say all you want about Marx, and you can say about what he got wrong or how he was a dick and how he was a, a lazy hypocrite who uh, cheated on his wife, whatever you want, or he was racist or whatever. Uh, all that true to one or another extent. He really was the one person who saw what was happening as it was happening and saw more even than what it was, what it was going to be. And he saw that it could not be uh, negotiated with. It could not be uh, uh, gotten around. It cannot be competed with. It could only be transcended. It had to be worked through and transcended because it was going to become totalizing. And he looked around the world and he saw the, the power of capitalism and he saw the absolute rustic uh, 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 flaccid uh, uh, corrupt, weak structures that opposed it. And saw, yeah, there's only way, one way this is going. Nothing outside of capitalism, no system, no structures outside of capitalism will be able to withstand it. The only hope will come from within it, as people who are deterritorialized by capitalism uh, come into a new consciousness. But at the time, very few people got that. And honestly, I'll always say that, like, Marx's vituperativeness and, and awful hostility and nastiness to the people he argued with can kind of be understood when you just see, when you really reckon with how much he saw compared to what everyone else was insisting upon. People saying, no, we can defeat capitalism by, by competing with it and displaying uh, the superiority of cooperation. As though by that late date, what was going to compel the mass of humanity was going to be uh, was going to be an an example or a word or anything beyond the fucking ideological and physical rifle to the forehead of uh, of capital. But that was not obvious at the time. How To most of us, to most people there, hell, half the smartest people of the 19th century were convinced that all of it, all the stuff that was happening was due to skull shapes and, and like temperature variations and shit. But yeah, I don't really know that much about the whole New Harmony deal. I mean, I've never really studied the those people. It's like all those 19th century eccentrics, well-meaning, uh, 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 good-hearted, uh, but just fundamentally not reckoning with what was in front of them. But you know what? None of us are. None of us can. All of us are creating a uh, model reality to live in where uh where agency still exists 
Uh, Mario, uh, Mario Cuomo. Andrew Cuomo is going to real, uh, legalize heroin now to distract from the new uh, information about the nursing home deaths. It's just going to be like, look, what, what, what will it take to make you people go away? Uh, fentanyl out of uh, vending machines? Fine. Yeah, maybe they'll, uh, yeah, because they're not going to legalize any more drugs, but maybe public drinking, because that is a, a real drag about New York, that you can't fucking drink in the street. The thing that will, one of the things I think that will always make capitalism beat anything that's competing with it, as opposed to, like I said, being transcended from within, is that power in the capitalist system is never located. It's always somewhere else. The real power, no matter how influential or important the individuals are in a room, the real power is something in their head. And it's something that they cannot bargain with or change. Not like, you know, a medieval uh, council where these guys all had to uh, answer to God. I mean, God is just their self-interest plus their uh, sense of duty, whatever that is. It's, it's internal. Capitalism is, is, it is a compelling, a compulsion beyond uh it's a compulsion beyond hum human personal coercion it is uh frankly kind of supernatural Oh boy, I look tired, I'm sorry. I guess I'm just feeling kind of, I don't know, at sea, because I should be doing, I should be being more productive and I'm I'm, I'm guessing I'm having a bit of a, a, a crisis of confidence, like Jimmy Carter. But you know, those come and go, it's all cyclical. I just got to uh, breathe through it, vibe my way through it, Way, uh, see for something to hit. I think what I really need is just to, for this like slow motion uh, uh, de-pandemification. -pand uh, what I've really realized is that like there there is no going back to normal. I think that's obvious. That's it would be undialectical to imagine otherwise. Like there is no post-pandemic that's like just like it was before. 
But I think these last couple months, especially as vaccinations in the U.S. have, have increased, has really reminded me is that there will whatever is coming after, like this stage, is going to be a intensification of the uh, ambiguous uh, uh, sort of desocializing. Uh, uh, like I think I, I worry that uh, that there will be a permanent uh, mark left in our ability to to engage with the world. I don't know. Once again, I just feel very siloed and very unsure of what anybody uh, is, is thinking or is, is going to do. I do know that, that whatever I think I or anybody else was hoping for, uh, which is some sort of cathartic moment of reasserted uh, uh, conviviality and, and, uh, I don't think, I don't know. We'll see if it comes, it'll come slowly. Like, like, uh, like, uh, feeling coming back to a limb that's been sat on for too long. Uh, but I think the ambiguity of it at the moment is getting to me a little bit, just this not knowing where it's going to land and how long, like we're, a, like we're on a Plinko board moving through space. Yeah, you can't really get more of a uh, sobering, uh, dis sobering uh, a sobering model example of what the rolling catastrophe of the 21st century will be from then this distinction between the U.S. and places like India right now, where you're getting to Things opening up here, you're getting to uh, a flattening finally of the curve uh, and some sort of tentative reopening. Meanwhile, what? There's thousands of hundreds of thousands of people a day uh, in India. And I think that that is something that a lot of Americans who worry about climate change uh, tend not to focus on. There's that, and I think that's why people like to think in apocalyptic terms about climate change. They like to imagine, hey, we're all going to die. You know, but I think we're seeing with this, that's not really the case. You know, some of us will die, uh, but the majority of us are going to stay in the pool, you know, in the human pool, in the citizenship realm where you get all the privileges of being an Americans. Uh, and elsewhere, huge numbers of people will die. And we will be separated from them by distance and by walls that we'll build and by technology that we'll use to enforce it. And... I don't think that is something that a lot of, uh, I think what people who fixate in America about we're all going to die, I think why that's a wish. Like somebody once said, uh, uh, of course people like Dr. Strangelove, who couldn't like a movie with such a happy ending? And it talks to the, the that, that, that desire for instant annihilation, not slow decline. And I think that is really the the death drive as we understand it. Like Howard Ratner in, in um, Uncut Gems, subconsciously setting up his own death so that he can die at his high point rather than uh, to see all that he enjoys and all that he values about himself slowly uh, removed and nothing but death to be company. Uh, I think a lot of people, they take especially if you're on the left, self-consciously on the left, we take our idea, uh, the idea that we're good people seriously. We take the idea that we do the right thing seriously. We, we take the idea that if we were in some other more vital historical moment, like Nazi Germany or antebellum America, we would be on the side of right. We would be so Sophie Scholl or John Brown. And we can pretend, uh, 
we can pretend to ourselves now in the situation that we live in that we're not really quite in that situation and that what we're doing in our lives to exhibit a political perspective and to exercise political uh, uh, political subjectivity are all, if not as most as much as we can do, enough to validate ourselves. The future that we're all really headed towards, and f- for the most part, sp- afraid to even name, is one where most of us are going to stay in the bubble. Not all of us. But the thing is, say some chunk of America gets like wiped out by a uh, by uh, a natural disaster, and the people who were in there in that zone were up until that moment part of America. Once that happens, they're no longer there. I mean, if they die, obviously they're off the books. But if they're on the other side of the uh, border that we struck create other side of the of the tent cities that we build they are now off the books consciously too because their contribution to our understanding of uh the american people uh will be eliminated so most of us are going or our descendants or whatever are going to be in the bubble which means we're going to be watching through the bubble the rest of the world slowly microwave for our benefit. And that is going to mean we're going to be in the moral position that we imagine about the past where we would have did the right thing. And I think a lot of us understand at some level that even if that's happening, even if we live in that world, by the time it happens, we will have accommodated enough we will have created enough mental uh baffles and justifications and rituals of purification to uh imagine that whatever poultry ritualized pseudo politics that we've landed on is sufficient to the horror of the moment i know that's true of me once again everything i say is just me i don't know maybe that's not true of anybody everybody else but certainly makes it it certainly seems like it'll be the case because the alternative is okay say that i'm not going to let that happen say that i convince myself i am not going to uh just slowly uh neurotically uh expiate my own guilt from being party to this planet murder. Uh, Well, what what will I do? (sighs) That answer is never clear because everything looks pointless. And as things get worse, the options are going to get more limited and they're going to be more dangerous. They're going to involve actual potential for significant suffering and death, and imprisonment. And who will do that, who will do those things if they don't think that they can work? And that's where I keep banging the drum about spirituality, even though I understand that it's not something that computes, and it's certainly not something that can be scaled. All you can scale shit up to is cult, which, that's no good. What does that get you? Uh, Jonestown, Heaven's Gate, even if you don't get that, you end up with like a sad failure, like New Harmony. You're not fucking, uh, you're not going to stop anything. You're not going to uh, save anyone. So it can't just be, uh, hey, let's, let's have a new religion. That's silly. But people are going to have to uh, care more, care more about other people than they do themselves. And I don't blame anybody for not having that. I don't really have that to the degree that I, I think I should.
Well, it would build it, I think, cannot be anything that we find online. It can't be anything we read. It has to be something we experience directly. And that experience has to be with other people. And that is, I think, where I'm finding myself sort of at a crossroads because, like, I'm talking about, and I've really convinced myself anyway, and, you know, that's all you ever are going to do is convince yourself of anything. The rest just flows from that. Uh, that, um, that there is no practice without action as the basis for it. There is no, uh, there is no meaning outside of social existence. There is no, I don't mean that like your life is meaningless if you're not social. I mean, the things that, the generation of meaning that you carry with you throughout your life, including when you're by yourself, are found through uh, mutual experiences that, that create realities, that like create new structures of, of meaning that are stronger because they're shared. But my, my, in this weird nebulous realm, nether realm, I feel very unconnected to uh, other people. So it's left me feeling a little uh, trapped. Oh, someone asked about late Victorian holocausts. It's a very good Mike Davis book. Uh, and it is, honestly, I have no interest in, in uh, defending the Soviet Union. Uh, I don't really care. I think that the, those arguments are perfect examples of arguments that exist to be had that are unconnected to any meaningful question and that you do so that you feel like you're participating. Uh, but just as a historical question, the whole, the whole, the, the responsibility for communism of, uh, for the, uh, the excess deaths in the 20th century in, uh, in Russia or in China uh, is really settled and rendered absurd by the reality of late Victorian India and the British Empire. When you saw patterns of what happened, what happened in, in late Victorian uh, India, the Raj, the British who were operating the entire uh, subcontinent as a giant money funnel to uh, to the UK, disrupted all of the existing um, communal structures for uh, agricultural preservation resource management that had literally since the dawn of civilization in, in India been used to mitigate famine and, uh, and natural disasters undermining and destroying food supplies because they, they rationalized agriculture. They made it into a business just like they did in Ireland. And the result of that is that when famine came, thanks to El Nino uh, temperature variations in, in, uh, in the late 1800s, it meant tens of millions of people died. And that pattern of disrupting, uh, traditional agricultural uh, uh, methods and rationalizing them, which the, and therefore leading to massive deaths in the countryside when uh, economic, when uh, ecological conditions change, uh, is the story of capitalism conquering the world uh it's 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 the inevitable once capitalism has 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 won and i think it won in 1920 or so uh once capitalism has won it's uh it will systematically as it over as the earth uh, alienate 
people from traditional agricultural relationships with the land that will lead to massive death and transference of calories from the countryside to the cities. And in what you have in Russia and in China is a situation where you had these uh, communist movements made up of self-conscious Marxist-inspired revolutionaries uh, who, in 1917, made it uh, made a analytical throw of the dice that they were in a position to light the spark that would light the match of worldwide global revolution that would defeat capitalism and overthrow uh, overturn or overthrow capitalism from within. Um, and it didn't work. It came pretty close. It wasn't a, it wasn't, I don't think it was a, uh, I mean, the fact that I would point that as like when capitalism won just speaks to the fact that there was still contingency there. There was still possibility. So, and when you consider what the situation was in Russia, where the likelihood of a fascist, of a, of a proto-fascist military reaction taking power from the delegitimized central government was almost a foregone conclusion absent a communist revolution that they made the right call. But uh, it it failed. The, fa- the revolution failed to ignite. And as a result, that communist government in, in Russia is forced to compete on capitalism's terms, on capitalism's economic terms, in order to survive. And that means mulching the fucking peasantry. And that's why I think, let's call it here. I'm going, I won't say which book it is this week. I'll, I might tweet it out later. I, will, I want to do uh, a book next about the German Revolution. There's a really good one that I've heard about. Don't remember the, the author, though. Uh, it's like the classic text from like the, uh, the 60s. Because it was always supposed to be Germany. It was always supposed to be Germany. The place where the language and the, and, and, and the, uh, the where, the, where the, the development of capitalism was, uh, was most conforming to uh, the Marxist concept the way that it created a working class movement, the way that that working class movement expressed itself politically uh, and and challenged for power. And then when it didn't happen, I really think that we're, we, we entered a new phase. I, I think that the cold war was, was a, a war for resources uh, between capitalism and all of the all everything that uh, opposed it in one way or another, uh, and that war was much less was much less close. That war was uh, never really in doubt. You can argue about some contingencies that if they go the other way, things go differently, but. It's hard to it, it. It requires a lot more dice rolls going different ways than than any period uh, uh, during the late during the po- immediate post World War One era when you, the, the air was thick with possibility.
I did see Mortal Kombat. Uh, the CGI blood actually didn't bother me as much as it usually does, just because I mean it's fucking Mortal Kombat. You know, it's it's never it never looked realistic. It was fucking eight sixteen bits or whatever. Uh, and there was some cool violence, like when the got, lady got cut in half with the hat. That was pretty good. Kendo was honestly kind of uh, kind of charming. Not gonna lie. Uh, like it, he was doing banter, but it was not soy. Maybe just because of all the fuck, all the swear words, but it just it felt less uh, cloying than Whedon. I will say though, absolutely baffling how they structured it. I guess this is an example of of the uh, of the new normal of every film having to be the first in a franchise is that there literally isn't a goddamn tournament in it. All of the fights are. What, the one side trying to kill the other guys before they can have the tournament. What the fuck, man? When are we going to get to the fireworks factory? Movies are dead. Correct. Uh, because I really do think that the concept of the film, the theatrical Feature film is determined by the context of uh, uh, seeing it in the theater. I, I don't think it's movies anymore if they don't go to theaters. I've said that before. I really think it's true. We are not, We now have, like Scorsese said, we now have content. And I don't think Marvel destroyed them. I think Marvel is just the symptom of capitalism destroying them. I mean, I know that it's, a, it's, it's easy to say that because it's the answer to everything, but you really do see as, as uh, money just swallows the industry, the, it changes the economies in such a way that, that the uh, amount of investment, the amount of return on investment required is so astronomical that artistic considerations cannot be priced in. Not entirely, but over time, more and more. And, I mean, people say Marvel, but you guys know what year Iron Man came out, right? Who knows the year the first, the first, uh, no, I know it was, it's not like the, the first official MCU or something. That's, I don't know. But the, the, fir the first one that, like, starts the thing was Iron Man. 19, or 2008. Anything else happened that year that anybody knows about? Anything else happened in 2008 that anybody remembers? Because remember, the way that the uh, 2008 collapse was uh, responded to, as opposed to the Great Depression, which was responded to a huge uh, increase in uh, worker leverage, direct employment, massive increase in unionization, uh, and therefore purchasing power at, at the basic at the uh, at the level of uh, of the consumer through labor share of income, how is it fixed in 2008? All of them, they just took the governor off of money. They decided money doesn't exist for banks. They, and of course, money never existed. It was always a fraud, but it was a fraud that they all pretended to believe in to some degree or another. And 2008 taught them, oh, okay, never mind. Like, we have reached the final stage here. Like, there's nowhere else for this money to be invested in. There's nowhere to profitably invest money. Apple is sitting on, what, $200 billion in, in just dead capital that they, that they aren't investing in anything? There is nowhere for them to put it. There is no, I mean, my God, crypto is literally just running a fucking uh, car in the garage. It's just doing the uh, the externalities of an economy without any of the productive part. But what that meant is that the the uh, the cheapness of money at the top meant that it that changed the economics of all these industries, and it made it so that so much money needed to be come come back to these companies. At, at, at the top end, like Disney, that nothing but 
guaranteed products with built-in multi-year marketing structures could ever be worth the financial, the, the initial investment. And when Iron Man was a hit, people wanted a superhero. They wanted a hero. They were holding out for a hero. The model was born. And now everything has been trying to be that ever since. I mean, my God. They tried to turn the damn Universal Monsters into a freaking extended universe. What is the productive part of crypto besides moving illegal uh, shit around and evading taxes? It's just it's just fucking carbon emission. It's strangling penguins. Every time you mine a crypto coin, they shoot a fucking penguin in the head. That's it. That really does to me sum it all up. Is that there is money has so far outpaced the real economy and real productivity uh, and real scarcity. Like the reality of this is when you look at this insane system is that clearly through technology, uh, through the creation of uh, systems of trade and exchange, we have solved and, uh, and agriculture and we have solved scarcity. But the only way to do that is to the only way to actually apply that is to take all of that uh, all of that excess, all of this productive capacity that is just taken and held and and move it back around and redistribute the technology uh, and the mechanisms of exchange well and remove the the profit engine. We could do that. That's possible, like in terms of we have the – there's nothing physically stopping us, only our structures, only our, our embedded assumptions, only the mechanisms of control. But there is no uh, – it's so far past a real economy that the only new avenues of investment are ones where all you are doing is – is the non-productive element of production, the externalities of production, because there has to be something. It has to be measuring some activity. But this is not the creation of value. This is the creation of fucking carbon. That's it. And so we're going to suffocate like someone turned on a car in a garage because there is nothing inside the system that will stop it from doing that. Because the damages, the hurt, the exploitation, the misery are always concentrated farthest from the points of power. The closer you get to points of real leverage and power within the system, the more insulated you are, not just personally, but psychologically, from the reality of capitalism. And of course, at the very top, you've got literal demons, but you've got plenty of people who are, for the most part, human, who are able to continue performing their part of this, like we all are, because they have, uh, they really don't know what it is. They, they truly have had it abstracted away from them. It means, some, it means the opposite to them of what it really is. Because we imbibe a culture where all of the misery and pain and horror of capitalism are turned into all of the good virtues uh, and values and all that is good. So, of course, living in that, breathing that vapor, we, we will continue to carry the system out until it's too late, until we're, we're at the other side of the bayonet, until we're on the other side of the cage. But by then, there will be no way for us to stop because we're outside of it. And once you're outside of it, you can be and will be annihilated because you don't have the proximity to the technology that allows you to confront capitalism.
Someone says crypto isn't all mining. It's three coins that do that. You mean the three ones that people have and use? You mean the three ones that matter? If there's ones that don't use uh, mining, fine, that's good. But is that where the money is? It's very interesting, though, to me that Bitcoin has a finite limit to how much can be produced, right? It's 90%. Someone says it's 90% mined. And, of course, what happens, presume, I, I'm assuming once it hits 100, the value goes to zero, right? Can somebody who knows more about uh, crypto explain this to me? Like the, It has to go to zero. If it, once it's been a hundred percent mined, and if that's true, it's very interesting because it shows the way that libertarianism uh, is 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 deluded is a is a self is a self conscious self delusion because you create this thing right this new new money it's better than old money it's it's superior to old money it's got real value. And you still, even though you believe in an economy, capitalism, that is dependent upon endless growth, continual and endless growth, that's the necessary condition for capitalism, which is why America is just a giant Ponzi scheme. Uh, your ideal currency has a fucking finite amount that can be produced of it. You don't even see the contradiction there. But that's because actual currency, not legal tender, fiat currency, is at the end of the day actually enforced by uh, the system that produces its viability. The, 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 uh, the technological and social capacity of the state. That's what actually undergirds currency. And that is, that exists as long as the state exists or to the degree that the state exists. But because the, the libertarian crypto people don't believe in the state, they have this hard wall. And then what happens when you hit it? Oh, we'll figure it out. Because the assumption is always because well because the reality is is this is never meant to be a currency and its value isn't as a currency is as purely as a speculative fucking investment and that means yeah at the end of the rainbow when the fucking thing hits a hundred there'll be something else the good old state with its old fiat currency which we've been actually converting this to the whole time uh, is going to be there to pick it up to have another con for us to run. If, you, if somebody makes a cryptocurrency that is an actual stable source of value and not speculative and that allows for transactions outside of uh, state control, that'd be great. And doesn't involve just spewing fucking carbon in the atmosphere, that's fine. That'd be great. Are there any of those? I'll have some. But, I mean, I don't really need any because I don't need to subvert legal transactions right now. Seems like Google and Amazon are getting away with a lot more planetary destruction than crypto, but no one gives a shit. Well, I mean, nobody gives a shit about any of this. Who are you talking about? Like 90% of people of descriptions, it's amazing. I wouldn't say 90, I guess, but it's amazing the number of debates uh, online about politics that boil down to why do you care so much about X and not Y when the reality is nobody actually cares about any of it. 
It's just what they want to emphasize at any given moment for an emotional high point to an argument they're making to avoid having to deal with their existence. I should know. I almost perfected this shit. Like we've, we're, we've, we're bothered by this stuff. That's real. We're bothered by it, but it's, it's like the grit that we kind of have to chew on to like make our guts work. You know how like there are some animals that like eat rocks to put in their stomach, like chickens, I think. They eat rocks to put in their stomach so that they can grind up against the food that they consume. That's what our, our concern, our care about any of these issues boils down to. It is, it's, it's grist. And like even the anxiety and, and guilt that is produced by, by chewing on it is uh, in some sense psychologically satisfying because it propels us into rituals of uh, absolution that then make us feel cleansed, if only for a moment. And it's the seeking of that cleanliness and it's the cycle of, of feeling in, implicated and, uh, and soiled and then seeking a... Uh, uh, a baptism that keeps us moving. And again, there's no buddy to blame for any of that. No one is wrong or evil for making these choices. We are all just trying to uh, live from day to day as no humans ever have, as, as alienated as any humans have ever lived. And we are just trying to make sense of a world that has, at every since our most of us, if we're listening to this, since we were uh, conscious, has uh, existed solely to atomize us, to convince us of the uh, immovable deadness and disenchanted, uh, mechanistic soullessness of the world. The, the centrality of our own pleasure as the only antidote to that, as the, only, uh, as the only goal to seek in this dead fucking landscape, and then try to make sense of the world that we live in. And of course, this is what we're going to do. But these atoms that are banging off of each other, you know, eventually some of them are going to hit in a way that was unanticipated. And explosions are going to occur. Whether they're sufficient, whether they happen in time is a different question. But whether there's going to be something for people to do at any given moment that might help lead us closer to that point uh, is also very true. There is, there is always, as long as there are humans, there is, there is hope. It's because we all have the ability to transcend our understanding of the world. It happens all the time. We've either experienced it or we've seen it in others where people come to an understanding that changes their relationship to the world around them, to the people around them, changes their values and therefore changes the trajectory of their life. And that is where free will resides is in the, the, the possibility that we have at any given moment to uh, jump the track of our programming. But what does that is emotion. What does that is a feeling in a moment, is a contextualized experience that opens a new path. It cannot be reasoned to. It can be reasoned towards, but the actual catalyst can only occur uh, in the forge of human interaction. Free will resides in the balls. All right, folks. Bye-bye. Where's this gizmo?